This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher's cell therapy processing instruments are designed to help customers transition from process development to commercial manufacturing, utilized as standalone devices or integrated as part of a closed modular process. Thermo Fisher Scientific recommends Gibco CTS DynaSelect Magnetic Separation System, which is a next-gen cell isolation and activation instrument. Gibco CTS Xenon Electroporation System allows customers full control to optimize for a variety of cell types and payloads. And Gibco CTS Rotea Counterflow Centrifugation System is a closed cell processing system supporting a broad range of protocols for cell separation, washing, and concentration. Customers can rely on and streamline their drug development process with Applied Biosystems Qualtrac qPCR and dPCR quality control tools for robust and reliable genetic analysis across various phases of drug development, supported by relevant, compliant documentation. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and my guest for this episode is Paolo Siciliano, associate partner at PA Consulting in Innovation and Transformation Consultancy based in London. Paolo, thank you for being my guest today. I'm so glad you're here to talk to us. Thanks to you, Aaron. Really pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about PA Consulting first. So, PA Consulting has offices all over the globe, including the UK. Like we said, you're headquartered in London, uh, and you also have offices in the United States. So talk to us briefly about PA Consulting, as well as your, your own areas of focus as a so, as associate partner, as it, um, you know, as it uh, applies to cell and gene therapy. Perfect. Yeah, for sure. So um, let me start about um, what I do. Uh, so as you mentioned, I'm an associate partner at PA Consulting, uh, which means I'm um, I'm responsible for um, everything the PA does in the cell and gene therapy space, which includes uh, everything from the support that we provide to clients across the entire value chain or vein to vein chain, uh, but also I'm responsible for growing the capabilities and our offering uh, internal in PA. Uh, let me tell you a bit about PA Consulting. So PA Consulting is a global management consulting firm. Uh, we've been around since the 1940s. Uh, and we, uh, as, as you said, we have offices across the world. We focus mainly on three geographies, uh, these being the US, the UK, uh, and the Nordics here in Europe. Uh, we have about 4,000, just over 4,000 employees at the moment. And uh, we focus on a number of different sectors. Uh, so healthcare and life sciences being one of them. But we also work in the consumer space, defense and security, uh, transport and consumer products, and, and, and many more. Um, when it comes to uh, how PA is different from uh, other organizations out there, I would say PA is quite unique. Um, of course, we provide a, a number of uh, management consulting services uh, that you would expect from classic management consulting, from strategy, uh, operation improvement, uh, change management, and, and so on. Um, the What makes PA very unique is the fact that we really focus on uh, technology and innovation. Uh, PA is about five technology centers today, um, where we have electronic engineers, mechanical engineers, scientists, molecular biologists like myself, uh, where we actually develop technologies for our clients. Uh, what we mean is uh, we, uh, we do product development 
uh, for them and with them. And, and we bring new products to market from a hardware and a software perspective. Um, when it comes to, uh, I would say, the different sectors, uh, healthcare and life sciences is the main area uh, of focus for PA. We have roughly 800 people working in this space. And um, when it comes to cell and gene, that is the reason why you and I have enough conversation uh, today, of course. Uh, this, I would say, is relatively a new area for PA. We're we are a new player in the, in this space. Uh, we've been actively working in cell and gene for, let's say, the last four and a half, five years. Uh, and what we do uh, today in this space, we work across the value chain, right? So we work with uh, technology developers, we work with therapy developers, uh, we work with uh, hospitals and suppliers of different solutions to, uh, to all the above. What we do is we provide a number of services that span from uh, technology development, as I was mentioning. So we develop uh, new bioreactors, consumables, sensors, uh, bespoke devices that can be used by uh, technology manufacturers and, and therapy manufacturers uh, in, in the manufacturing of a cell and gene. Uh, we uh, focus quite uh, a lot on technology strategy. So uh, we use our technical experts in cell and gene that have been in the space for decades, and we support clients across the ecosystem to understand how the market is moving from a technology perspective, how they can uh, access and leverage new technologies, and how they can grow in this space. Uh, on top of that, one other uh, area that is key for PA in this space is um, we uh, help clients understanding the uh, value, business case, pricing strategies around new technologies. Uh, for technologies and products, there might be five, six, seven, eight years um, out in the um, and not, not in the market. Uh, this is basically because we know how to develop technologies. We're expert in innovation. So we can, uh, I would say more than predict, we can extrapolate what the value for the different stakeholders could be for a new technology. And we also provide some advice in the uh, manufacturing process. Uh, so we work with uh, th therapy developers. Uh, we look at how they manufacture the therapies and we can provide unbiased advice on how uh, and what best technologies to bring in into the, uh, the manufacturing lines. And last but not least, one thing I also wanted to mention is PA is now part of uh, Jacobs Engineering, uh, which you might be aware of not is one of the major construction and uh, engineering company in the world and one of the major uh, developer of cell engine therapy uh, facilities in the world. So at the moment, we can provide a large number of services in this space. And, and as I said, we, we're quite unique in how we provide these services. Excellent. Well, and I'm very glad for the uh, the breakdown of exactly what PA Consulting does, and especially you and your role, because you are the first uh, person from a consultancy that we've that I've had on the podcast. So this is really exciting for me, and I think we, you know, we deliver a lot of really good information. So this is great. Um, you did mention manufacturing, which I want to get into a little bit. Um, on Cell and Gene, we cover manufacturing heavily and soup to nuts. And so I wanted to get your take on a few things. Um, all right. So when it comes to manufacturing, I want to talk a little bit about automating uh, the diverse processes across cell and gene therapy to, to scale it, right? So a lot of our readers and our listeners are small biotechs. How can 
how can these companies scale manufacturing with limited resources, limited funds, you know, what would your best advice be to that specific type of company? That's a great question. And uh, so let, let me unpack this a little, because obviously you, you mentioned manufacturing. And so if we think about the cell engine therapy space at the moment, so despite all the advancements that we're seeing in manufacturing technologies, manufacturing processes, our understanding of the biological sciences behind cells and DNA and, and all that, we know that manufacturing is still the main challenge that we have in the cell engine therapy industry, right? Um, at the moment, processes are not streamlined, uh, are not efficient to, um, in a number of ways. Uh, and it's something that you potentially would expect from a new industry, right? We're still a young industry yeah, with this regard. Um, the challenges that we have in manufacturing today are a major contributor to the second uh, major challenge that is usually the elephant in the room when you talk about CGT, that is the cost, right, of uh, all these therapies, uh, which at the moment is uh, jaw-dropping. Um, so if we look at the manufacturing today, right, we uh, have efficiencies related to the fact that it's uh, pretty manual in, in a number of, uh, obviously, it's uh, kind of putting manufacturing under one single umbrella. We know it's very diverse depending on the modality, but in general, we have a manual process. Uh, highly trained, personnel that is required for manufacturing these therapies, expensive facilities. Um, and at the moment, there's a lack of automation uh, that we see in some, but uh, still not widespread. And one thing that also came out from one of the um, workshops that we run at Facilitate a couple of weeks ago is the uh, lack in adoption of digital solutions uh, at the moment in manufacturing. So if you put all these things together, then you get to inefficiencies from a... Um, uh, reproducibility, uh, quality, you get delays, uh, inability to meet demand. So just to bring it all up one level, manufacturing at the moment, all the challenges that we have in manufacturing cell engine, what is causing is less therapy on the market for patients and more expensive therapies, right? If we look at the reasons of why this is happening at the moment, so as we mentioned earlier, first of all, we are a new industry. Right. Uh, yes, research has been going on for probably two, three decades now. If we look at Kinraya, the first therapy in the market was five years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're still a very new market. Um, the processes are not standardized. We we have different modalities from cell to gene therapy in vivo and ex vivo uh, with different cell types, uh, with different recipes that you have to uh, produce your, your therapy. So it, all, all these make it quite uh, complex to standardize the, um, the manufacturing process. And the other challenge that, again, something that we mentioned quite heavily in a facilitator a few weeks ago, is if you think about this industry, this industry was born from scientists coming from a medical slash biological background, right? Which historically, I'm not trained for being expert in automation, uh, digital technologies, getting up manufacturing and all this, right? And, uh, and what we're going through is a transition where we're basically merging together uh, different experience in the industry. Uh, so if we think about how do we fix this, right, the moment from a manufacturing perspective, so how do we enable uh, scale up? Um, so when um, we look at the, what's happening in uh, uh, the manufacturing technology space at the moment, uh, we're seeing there's a large number of organizations that are trying one way or another to bring automation and bring different solutions to the market. 
from uh, new bioreactors, new cell processing machines, fill and finish, introduction of new digital platforms and all that. And uh, so at, at the moment, there's, uh, there's quite a variety of uh, solutions out there in the market, right? And one very interesting thing that we're seeing uh, is this eternal battle between the one machine approach, the fully automated, and the modular approach, right? Because this, I think, is key for um, early biotechs that are getting into the uh, scaling up the manufacturing. So if we look at the market at the moment, you have companies that are um, providing technologies that, um, to oversimplify it, put ingredients in, everything happens in one box, you have the therapy on the other side, right? Almost fully automated, manual, uh, minimal manual interventions, uh, and most of the steps happening in one machine, right? Uh, some examples, you have the Miltani Biotech, uh, you will have the Cocoon from Lonza, the Adva Bio and the Ori Biotech as, uh, as new entrants in this market. So this one machine approach provides a number of advantages, right? Uh, as you reduce risk, reduce contamination, all that. Obviously, you have some drawbacks as well when it comes to flexibility and scale-up versus scale-out and all that. If you look on the other side of the spectrum, you have the modular approaches, right? The, the one that are pushed by companies like the, the, the big players in the space, the Fisher, Sativa, the Fresenius, the Terumo. Um, by the way, I'm not publicizing one or the other. I'm just listing some examples here. Um, so what we're seeing at the moment is, is almost like the debate about autologous versus allogeneic, right? Uh, you, you had people going on one side or the other, and now the industry is realizing that we will have both, right? And we can probably agree that most of the industry now is, is going towards that direction, that both therapy lines will coexist. And also from a technology perspective, we will have an, an environment where you will have a combination of these one machine approach, modular approaches, and somewhere in the middle. Um, so... One thing that I think is also important to mention is the fact that on one side, you have the technology developers, you have the digital layer, right? So the providers of digital solutions uh, from a lab perspective, from a facility perspective on how you connect with logistics and how you connect with hospitals. On top of that, you also have association and organizations that are actually working with the wider industry trying to bring automation and, uh, and bring new practices in. Look at, the, for example, the Solange Therapy Capital and what they're doing here in the UK, working across um, the industry, trying to, uh, to bring innovation automation. I think the interesting thing is there are solutions out there and importantly, there's support out there. Because that would be, sorry for this long-winded um, introduction to say, what's my advice to and small biotech at the moment with limited resources is look for support. At the moment, if, I'm, uh, if I think about a small biotech, and I'm generalizing a little here, but uh, your main asset is your therapy or your platform, whatever you're developing, uh, and the experience of the people that uh, develop that. Realistically, you don't have the in-house expertise to understand what are the best practices, what are the best technologies from a manufacturing standpoint, scale-up, facility development, digital, and so on, uh, which is fine, not having those in-house. Um, I think at the moment, out there, there are a number of organizations that are able to support 
to identify what are the best uh, approaches and the best solution. Um, there's not a one-size-fits-all at the moment, meaning uh, if one solution works for a specific company, it doesn't necessarily mean that it work for another one. But the, as we mentioned, different modalities, different therapies, different volumes and demands and all that. So it's really trying to understand where you're sitting there and finding the right support. One other thing that I would strongly recommend is to look at both the need of the now, but also your mid and long-term objectives. Because when you select the um, not only the technology, but how you set up your facility for scaling up, is really think about, yes, you need you have your milestones that are really close in time, but don't lock yourself into something that then needs to be completely changed when you need to move to the next step. And um, and another option, of course, is to, um, you know, there's a lot of debate now on who is going to manufacture these therapies in the future, right? If it's uh, the big pharma, if it's the biotech, if it's CDMOs, right? We're seeing more and more CDMOs at the moment uh, appearing in the market. Uh, we obviously have the large established one, but we have a lot of small ones uh, specialized in specific cell types in, uh, in specific areas. So the support is out there. Is And the, the investment from a time and cash perspective in getting some advice uh, is uh, is not that impossible to achieve. And one other thing I wanted to mention on this is the level of collaboration we're seeing in this industry at the moment is unseen, meaning you can get a lot of advice almost for free out there because there are, and we live this as, a, as an industry uh, at the moment uh, where we are trying to support each other so that there's a lot of support when needed. I couldn't agree more with especially what you just said about there's a real um, drive toward a community. Uh, it's a community effort to uh, there are no I should say no, but there are you know, there isn't this level of trade secret type of information. People really are trying to share versus, you know, hold everything to themselves. And that's a really good place to be, especially now. Um, I wanted to maybe drill down a little bit more from uh, the, a business perspective when it comes to, you know, when a company is able to scale, what, what is the long-term impact on the business? What does that actually look like? And that could be small biotech, obviously it looks different for, you know, a much larger company, but, you know, when a company is able to scale, what does that look like on the back end? What long-term impact does that have? So that's an interesting question. So I think when a company is able to uh, understand the kind of technologies that need to bring in type of facilities, and uh, I think the impact that they have is, um, so you have the direct impact on the therapy that you're developing now, right? So that, first of all, enables you to hopefully meet your uh, milestone. In uh, Let's assume that you reach that during your uh, phase two clinical trial, right? Um, so first of all, you, you, you manage to meet demand to run your trials efficiently, uh, which is, again, uh, one key area um, where, uh, you know, the, the investment expenditure can be very high. Um, but then obviously it also provides you with uh, uh, the uh, reassurance that then when you really need to scale up and meet demand in the market, which we know is still one of the major challenges, even for big pharma, right? Uh, it's actually 
providing your investors with the um, uh, reassurance that uh, this has been uh, thought through. On the other side, I think it also enables organization, and again, it really depends on what's in your pipe in your pipeline, uh, but it also enables you to start on making projections on how you can start introducing uh, new assets, right, in your portfolio. Uh, because you, when you start locking down certain processes and certain facilities, then it makes it easier to bring in new assets and, and learn from that. So uh, overall, I think it, it helps on the specific therapy, but the overall portfolio as well. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Um, what, maybe drill down even a little bit more on talking to the biotech about, you know, how to address tomorrow's scalability challenges. You know, what are some of the best practices that companies can be doing now to get ahead of it? Okay, so um, when we look at these, I think for me, as, as I was mentioning earlier, I think so to, to address some of the scalability challenges, first of all is make sure that you identified what are the right technologies that, uh, that you need to bring in, right? So uh, try to understand which type of equipment you need, which type of digital technologies you're going to implement, which type of facility um, you will need. Uh, the second is identify who are the right partners that will help you uh, bring this to life, right? Uh, are you doing everything in-house? Are you, are you working in collaboration with the CDMOs? And if you're working with external parties, which are the, uh, the relevant ones and the, the best ones um, uh, for you? Uh, the, the third point for me would also um, start early working with uh, uh, regulators on one side uh, to understand where um, you uh, you will be able to uh, change and modify your process uh, in a way that can enable you to, to meet your um, uh, the demand uh, in a way that you don't have to run uh, bridging studies if uh, you're bringing in uh, changes in your manufacturing process early on. So um, at the moment, I think, uh, again, going back to the technology, for me, the, the important thing to, to think about is uh, really focus on what is the best that works for you. Because I know that we're trying to talk about best practices, but at the moment, it's hard to identify which ones this would be, because we're seeing completely different approaches from uh, and successful approaches both from pharma and biotech, some going down the one machine approach and some going down a module. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, I want to talk just for a, a brief minute about uh, the state of investment in cell and gene therapy broadly and just your, kind of your personal take on it. Um, you know, we know 2020, 2021 was very successful. 2022 in cell and gene therapy, the investment was down. Um, you know, I think it's like 85% down for the rest of the world in terms of the number of deals being made. Um, with that bigger slowdown, you know, what do you think we can expect in 2023 and, and even in the short term, a few years beyond now? Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's, that's a very good, uh, that's a very good point. Um, to, first of all, I'm more than happy to, to give you my view on these. I just, just want to mention that, um, uh, my, 
personal focus is not really an investment, but MPA, obviously, we monitor these quite, uh, sure. quite closely. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, 2022 has been uh, a big shift compared to uh, the last two years, right? And, and the reduction has been quite uh, dramatic, I, I would say. Um, so, if we look at the reasons for this, right? At the moment, that that point, there are a number of reasons that we can jump into that. So, of course, we have the microeconomic and political challenges that we're going through that we're all familiar with, uh, which obviously had an impact on uh, on a number of markets, not only on challenging. And the overall biotech uh, industry, right, and um, shrunk in 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 twenty two and saw it, um, a reduction in uh, investment and and deals. And and on the other side, we're also seeing a um, some of the investment in the challenging therapy space didn't really deliver the return that we're expecting, right? Or the results that they were expecting. And these was both on the therapeutic side, but also on the technology side, right? Because we have a lot of investment in that, in that area too. And I mean, the, the one other impetus is that if you think about what happened in 2020 and 2021, we can't forget about the impact that. COVID vaccine and on the challenging therapy uh, industry, right? Because um, obviously uh, the success of the mRNA vaccine for COVID obviously provided a lot of publicity and uh, uh, and confidence in the market that uh, the overall ATMP, not just challenging, but the overall ATMP umbrella uh, is here, is now, it works. Um, so we're probably towards the end of the tail of that. So there's also a bit of that and some investors are probably uh, less excited um, now. But if we flip it around, and if you look at the market today, right? So in 22, we still had 10 approvals, right? For therapies, uh, both in cell and gene, both for oncology and non-oncology application, right? We have about 18 other therapies close to get some sort of regulatory decision. Uh, we have uh, something like 3,000 different therapies at different stages of development, uh, lots still in preclinical and early clinical, but there's about 100 in phase three and pre-commercial. And uh, there's over a thousand trials, depending on which source you use for these numbers. But realistically, these are the these are numbers. And if you look at that, that looks like a solid, healthy industry at the moment. So we've seen innovation. Uh, we've seen a lot of energy and optimism. So it's, it's this level of uncertainty, right, that we're seeing at the moment, which is, uh, which is hard to, um, to get your, your head around. I think... Um, what we will see in 23 and, and beyond, um, so one thing that we are definitely expecting is some consolidation. This is, will definitely happen uh, over the next few years in different areas. On one side, uh, from a therapeutic perspective, at the moment, if you look at certain indications, uh, there are a large number of different ways on how we can tackle a specific disease or condition. And as a, a market dynamic, there will be some selection there. So there will be some uh, some consolidation around uh, the therapy area because, of course, there's uh, a limited number of patients uh, that can receive these therapies. And from a technology perspective, I think what we will start seeing now is larger technology developers actually um, acquiring um, IP and technologies from uh, smaller players. Obviously, now some of the uh, smaller players that worked uh, really hard to bring new technology innovation to the market are getting closer to uh, market and, and launch. So what we will probably see is some of the larger ones uh, trying to get uh, access to some of that IP and, uh, and those technologies. 
I think on the other side, we will also still see some fragmentation because obviously the market is still quite fragmented at the moment, uh, especially when it comes to uh, different modalities uh, in the cell therapy space. Uh, we still see uh, the race of which cell type is better for X, Y, and Z is still very open at the moment. So I think there will still be some fragmentation in that space and uh, and from a platform perspective, right, on uh, which transformation technologies uh, and, and all that. From an investment perspective, uh, and again, raise my hands, not as an expert here, but what we probably going to say is, yes, there's potentially less capital available. I think investors are a bit more cautious at the moment in where they put their money. Uh, I think they would, for those organizations, they will still have solid science and a strong board with the network and um, with a proper vision and plan, uh, some intellectual property and a decent platform. I think they would still manage uh, to raise uh, to raise the money needed. I think if there's true science and something real behind that, you will still be able to um, uh, to get the investment. And, and we're seeing the first signs of that. So overall, I would say optimistic. 2022 has been a bit of a slowdown, but hopefully it will pick up uh, this year. Good, good. Yeah. And uh, thank you for that. That's all really valuable information. And um, I know you're not deeming yourself an expert, but it is very expert-like information. So thank you. I appreciate that on the investment side. Um, We've reached the formal end of our episode. And so at the end of every episode, I like to talk to my guests about what they do when they are in the office or the lab. Um, And so here's yours. You're based in London. And what does a typical weekend in London look like for you? Oh, typical weekend in London. So I'll turn it around as a question to you. I'm okay. a management consultant with a two-year-old toddler at home. What do you think a weekend would look like? <laughs> I would love to say parachuting and bungee jumping, but um, realistically, I think it's uh, no jokes apart. And um, I've always been into um, the sport and travel. Uh, those are the two things that uh, me and my wife have always been have been a thing. So. Uh, now with the toddler, of, of course, he, he takes priority uh, sure. in our life. And, um, but yeah, when, when we can, we still travel um, and, uh, and, and we try to get uh, as much support as we can um, over the weekend. Obviously, the weather in London doesn't help. But yeah. I understand I'm in the northeast yeah. of the United States. And so I understand that weather is, you know, you're always at the mercy of it. Um, at one point, I did have a two-year-old toddler, so I understand. Hopefully, you're at a lot of playgrounds and, you know, getting fresh air and uh, getting the wiggles out. So that uh, did you say you have a son? Yes. Yes. yes that boy. he um, is ready for nap time and hits that nap window, and <laughs> so <laughs> yes. <laughs> the the, it, the time the sleep schedule timing is of great importance so you know get some expel some energy have some fun get a nap in so that bedtime's on time i completely understand it <laughs> yeah. but then then you and your wife can enjoy some sporting events as well too that's great um oh well this was wonderful well thank you so much paolo this was a lot of fun and that brings us to the end of our episode uh i wanted so formally thank you uh paolo siciliano for from pa consulting for your time uh this was great thanks for being here thanks Erin. it's been a pleasure absolutely uh listeners please be sure to visit cellengine.com subscribe to this follow the, the, excuse me this podcast and follow us on social media and we will talk to you soon mm-hmm.